Hey, welcome to New City Online. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this is your first time tuning in, we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know you're here, you can do so at newcity.us/connect. You can fill that form out online and I'll be in touch with you this week about next steps. Here at New City, we wanna be known as a generous church. As followers of Jesus, we believe that God has entrusted us as stewards of the resources he's given to us. Resources like our time and our talents and our finances. Part of living a fully devoted life to King Jesus is trusting him with all those things and letting him use them to advance his kingdom here on earth. If you'd like to support the work and ministry here at New City, you can do so at newcity.us give. Now let's continue to worship together.
this place be an upper room where your people learn to wait let this house become holy ground where your children watch and pray oh remind us today we are people of your presence let there be Amazing. And in wonder of who you are.
Last week, we started one of the most impactful chapters in all of the Bible, Daniel chapter 3. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn there with me today to Daniel chapter 3. Just by way of review, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden statue that's made in his image. And he asks everybody in Babylon to, to bow down and to, to worship the image that he had set up for other people to, to idolize. And my two big applications or, or takeaways from the first section of Daniel chapter 3 are this. Uh, the first one is, you were made to worship. It's true. Each of us was created with a, a heart to worship. And if we don't worship the one true God, the one that made us and created us, we'll find another substitute to worship because we were, we were made to do so. And in this way, sort of a, a good offense is a good, is a good defense. The Bible says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength, uh, to seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and all the other things will be, will be added unto us. In other words, when we put God in his place, when God is first in our lives, when we worship him and him alone, everything else finds its place. So if you wanna be a great friend, uh, if you want to be a great neighbor, um, a great husband, a great wife, a great son or daughter, whatever is important to you, then seek first the kingdom of God. Make God first in your life. Worship him alone and not other people or things, and all these other things will find their place. We were made to worship. That was my, my first big application from the first part of Daniel chapter 3. And here's the second one. You make a lousy God. And so do I. We, 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 we all do. And what I mean by that is that we are image bearers. We were made in the image and the likeness of God to reflect his glory. We're not meant to be image builders receiving glory. And when we get those two things reversed, things get really weird because we make other people and sometimes even ourselves out to be little gods. And other people make lousy gods. I think you would agree with me on this. They can't handle the weight of our worship and we will crush every relationship and person in our life that we worship because they, they can't live up to the holiness and the standard that only God can. Can. But here's the other thing. We all make lousy gods, not just to other people. When we make ourselves out uh, to be something that we're not, when we, when we set ourselves up just like Nebuchadnezzar did uh, to be worshipped or to receive some type of glory, it will crush us. And, and what's crazy, right, is that people throughout generations have worshipped all kinds of other people, other things, other animals, intellect, you name it, and other people have worshipped it. And even in different seasons of our life, maybe we've been guilty of worshipping other people or images. And it never works because those things and those people can never fulfill what God designed each and every one of us to do, which is to worship him alone. We, we take the gifts that God gave to us, the, the good things that God gives to us, and sometimes we make them the ultimate thing. And we talked about last week that that's the definition of idolatry, is we take a good thing in our lives and we make it the ultimate thing. So, so my takeaways, and maybe yours too, last week are that, hey, I was made to worship. God shaped me with a heart that's meant to, to worship him, and I'm meant to bear his image to all of creation and reflect his glory. But also that, that myself and other people, they, they just make lousy gods. The images that we build up and that we construct uh, can never match the image of God and, and, and who he made us to be and how he made us 
to worship. And that brings us to the the second part of Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, and we'll go through all the way through the end of the chapter. You know, they say uh, a picture is is worth a thousand words. Um, that when we when we see a picture, it actually begins to describe to us and and evoke a sense of emotion and, and narrative in our hearts. And when we when we see this picture, uh, the fiery furnace, I, I wonder what comes to mind for you. Uh, the fiery furnace that, that, that's contained here in the second part of Daniel chapter 3 is one of the most well-known Bible stories. In fact, it's, it's uh, consistently mentioned as one of the, the top 10 stories in all of the Bible. So maybe when you see this picture, you remember learning about the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. And, he, and here's my prayer for you as we, as we talk about the second part of chapter 3 and specifically the fiery furnace and this story that is so well-known to many of of us. I hope that it fills your heart with a, a sense of hope for the different fires and, and, and trials that many of you might be experiencing in your life or that you have or that invariably you will. And I also uh, hope that it fills you with a, a sense of, of faith as we read this narrative in, in knowing who God is, that he is with us, that God is always with us, and that he can save us, that he and he alone can deliver us today. There there are really two words that we can kind of hang this story on in Daniel chapter 3 verses 8 through 30. The first word is accused, and I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes. And the second word is delivered. So if you're if you're taking some notes, I want to encourage you to to maybe jot those two words down, accused and delivered, and you could really hang the whole story on those two words and we will today. So let's start by reading the first part of the story, Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They, they told on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. They start with flattery. You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments. Verse 11, that decree states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, maybe just underline that in your Bible, there are a certain few, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay you no attention, your majesty, They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Have you ever been accused of something? You ever been accused? How does that feel when you've been accused in your life? All of us have experienced that probably. A lot of times our feeling is directly connected to the accuser and what exactly we're being accused of. And here's the irony of ironies in this story of the fiery furnace. The accusers here are the wise men. They're the Chaldeans. They're the very same people in chapter 2 that have a death warrant on their heads because they're not able to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So check this out. A chapter later, they're the ones that are making the accusation. And they're the ones that want to put to death Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, Nebuchadnezzar has done a great job of building people into his image. You know, we talked about last week, we're either image 
bearers or image builders. And God made us to be image bearers. But Nebuchadnezzar was an image builder. And, and it, the ultimate is that he constructs this image for everybody to worship that reflects him and the gods that he worships. And so the Chaldeans, as, <clears throat> as they've bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar in the statue, now they take the opportunity to accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, these three Jews, these certain Jews who refuse to bow their knee and to worship the golden statue. You know, you will become, <clears throat> you will become what you worship. You, you will behave what you behold. Your behavior will begin to match that which you behold. And here's what's so interesting is the wise men, the Chaldeans, because they worship Nebuchadnezzar and his gods, because they behold Nebuchadnezzar, they begin to behave just like him. Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless. Remember his accusation against these same wise men in chapter 2 verse 5 is that he would tear them from limb to limb if they did not interpret the dream. He accuses them and now a chapter later they begin to accuse other people. The word accused in the Hebrew means to denounce, to, to literally tear from uh, tear to pieces and to destroy. And again, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 5 says, I'm going to tear you limb to limb. He's making the ultimate accusation against the wise men. People who live for approval, listen to this, people who live for approval will kill for approval. And not just physically, with their words, with, with their attitude, sometimes with their actions, People who live for approval will kill for approval. They're starved for it. It becomes their God. And because the wise men are living for the approval of Nebuchadnezzar, they're willing to kill for his approval. And they accuse these Hebrews who refuse to bow their knee. Now, what emotion did we say is, is most closely linked to control? Do you remember this from a couple messages ago? We said that the, the emotion that's most closely linked to control is anger. And this is what we see happening for Nebuchadnezzar. Anger overcomes him. In fact, the scripture says here, let me read uh, verses 13 through 15. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. And when they were, were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, listen to this question, maybe just, just underline this in your Bibles, verse 15, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Careful what you ask, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. In fact, in verse 19, if you read ahead, it says that his, his whole countenance, his, his face was distorted with rage. Have you ever seen someone that is so angry, it, it changes their whole physical appearance? And again, anger is most uh, closely linked to control. Nebuchadnezzar feels out of control. 
And, and in a world that, that he believes is under his control, where he's the most important and, and powerful person, he's got three people who refuse to do what he's asking them to do and to bow down and to worship the image that he's created. And so he flies into a rage. He considers himself to be above every other God. So listen again uh, in verse 15. He says, so, so what other God could actually save you from my power, from my control? It's rhetorical. He doesn't believe that any other God could possibly save but him because he has set up an image of himself and of the gods that he worships as the ultimate gods. And here's the response. Final part here in the accusation section. Let me, let me read to you verses 16 through 18. Listen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their response to King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, just circle that in your Bibles or highlight it on your phones. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Maybe this is a good word for some of us today. Some of you who are experiencing or facing trials of various kinds or maybe even different fires in your life right now, they say, we, we, don't, we don't have to defend ourselves because we have a defender. So we don't have to be defensive. Look at verse 17. If... If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve will be able to save us. He's able. Just underline that in your Bible. God is able. And then, and then they say this. Look at verse 18. But even if, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set. In other words, we know, remember I said last week, go and circle how many times that little phrase set up, those two words appears in chapter three, six different times. And they say here in verse 18, we know all of this is a setup. It's a, it's a setup because no other God, no other image could compare to the one true God. And so we work for you, right? We work for you, but we will not worship you. We, we, we will work for you, but we're not going to serve your ends to set up an image and, and something in the place of the one true God because we know it's a setup. It will never, ever work. And then they say something really powerful here. Just pay attention to verse 17 and 18. They say, our God is able. Hey, if we're thrown into the flames, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we're not gonna bow our knee, we're not gonna serve you, we're not gonna worship you because we know that God is able to deliver even if he doesn't deliver us through the fire. Even if he doesn't spare us from going through it, God is still able to deliver. Such a powerful word. Speaking of, of, of Daniel, as we go through Daniel chapter three, where is Daniel in this story? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe you heard this story before and you've learned it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego play, play a, a primary role, but, but Daniel's really nowhere to be found here. So where is Daniel? 
Well, there's a couple of different theories. One is that Daniel has been sent on a mission from Nebuchadnezzar somewhere else. Remember, he was very, very important in Nebuchadnezzar's government. He, he worked for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and so maybe Nebuchadnezzar sent him somewhere um, to go do something. Probably not likely because uh, the scripture says that all of Babylon was called together to bow down before the statue. So most likely that included Daniel and Daniel was present. But, but probably the Chaldeans, the wise men, knew that Daniel had such a prominent position in the government that they dared not accuse him. They accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had important positions, but not as important and powerful as Daniel. So we're left to surmise that Daniel was most likely present watching this whole story unfold and, and seeing the way that his friends were being accused and, and how they responded to Nebuchadnezzar. And he was powerless, seemingly, to really do anything about it but he was powerful. We know that he was powerful in prayer. He was powerful in his presence. He was powerful in prayer. And sometimes, guys, sometimes when your friends and your brothers and your sisters are going through fiery trials, there's just, there's nothing that we can really do other than to be present and to be prayerful, which is so much. Sometimes the gift of, of presence, the ministry of presence is, is, is all that God asks of us and all that that person needs. Sometimes just a quiet prayer, a, a powerful prayer that's prayed on their behalf is what God calls us to do. Sometimes I'll, I'll say to people, you know, I'll pray for you, but, but, but what can I do? And the reality is that is what I can do. I can be present and I can be prayerful. And that's most likely where Daniel was, is watching all of this unfold and being powerless to really step in and intervene or, or save them, but he's not powerless uh, to, to, to be present and, and to be prayerful. This is really a moment, I think, I think it's pretty cool, because in the first couple of chapters, Daniel is really the primary figure. But in chapter 3, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that came with him from Judah into exile, now, now they step to the forefront, and they have to lead, and they have to be courageous. And we talked about earlier that courage is contagious. Daniel's courage to, to resolve in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, to resolve to follow God no matter what. Now we see his friends in chapter 3 doing just that, following God no matter what. And trusting that God is going to deliver. And that's exactly what he does. So we said there were two words that you could kind of hang this story off of. The first is an, an accusation that's made against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the second word is God delivering, the deliverance of God. And so I want to read uh, the second half of the story to you, this, this uh, idea that God delivers. And he delivers in different ways. And I want you to listen to the story, and then we'll finish by talking about that. Let's pick up in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Verse 20, and then he ordered some of his strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants and turbans and robes and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed even the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Imagine that. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, maybe Daniel standing right there with Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? 
Yes, your majesty, we, sh we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Maybe underline that, verse 25. The fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers and officials and governors and advisors crowded around them. Can you imagine? And they saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. There wasn't even a smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue and deliver his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other God except their God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be torn into a heap of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions within the province of Babylon. This is an incredible story, and it's why it's so well known, of deliverance of God delivering his people. And you know, the, the message today is entitled, No Smell of Smoke, No Smell of Fire. Not even a, a singe or a smell of smoke was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even after being in the furnace. You know, God is with us and God will save us. He'll deliver us. And you know, God delivers in a couple of distinct ways. And in this story, he delivers through the fire, but there's a couple ways throughout the scriptures that we see God delivering his people. And in the balance of our time today, I just wanna talk quickly about how God delivers us because I, I know that for many of you listening today, you're going through a trial or some sort of fire. And I wanna tell you that God is with you and I wanna tell you that God can deliver you and, and save you but he delivers in three distinctive ways. The first is that God delivers from the fire. Sometimes God delivers us from the flames and we never have to face them. Sometimes God chooses to deliver us out of a situation or a circumstance so that we don't have to go through the fire. And when we see God intervene in that way in our lives, and keep us from going through something like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to in Daniel 3, our faith is, is built, isn't it? When we see God deliver in a way that keeps us from experiencing the, the flames of the fire, then our, our faith is encouraged and it's built up as we see God deliver in that way. And my, my prayer for each of you that are experiencing something that is that God would deliver you from the fire, that you wouldn't have to go through it, but sometimes, and we see that in the story, secondly, sometimes God delivers us through the fire. He delivers us through the flames. And when that happens, our faith is, is refined. You know, what, what we see happening in the fire is that it pulls out all the impurities and, and, and it makes what's there even stronger. And so sometimes God in his sovereignty allows us to go through fire and experience the flame of, of, of the fire and the heat of the fire to pull out the impurities and the things in our lives that, that, that don't matter. 
and that really that really don't bring glory to, to, to God. And we come out of the fire even stronger in our faith. Our, our faith, in a sense, is refined and we're purified through the flames of the fire in this world. And then finally, thirdly, sometimes God delivers us by the fire. Sometimes God delivers us by the flames and our faith is perfected. You know, sometimes we see all throughout the scriptures and we've seen through church history that sometimes God delivers his people, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the flames and into glory. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. God sees every single one of us and we're all precious to him. Our lives are precious to him. And sometimes in the sovereignty of God, I can't explain it. I don't know why. But sometimes God chooses to deliver us by the flames. He allows us to go through it and to pass from those flames into glory. I, I don't know today, friend, if what your fire is and what trial is going on in your life. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you're experiencing or you're, you're facing today. But I, I, I suspect that many of you are going through something. And what I want to encourage you with is that God can deliver you from the fire. He does deliver us from the fire. And, and, and God can deliver you through the fire. Sometimes he allows us to go into it to refine us and perfect our faith and to make us more like him by going through different fires. And maybe one day God will deliver you by the fire. But here's what we know. In all of this, God is with us. There's another in the fire with us, and God can deliver us. What if we all believe that today? What if we believe that God really is with us and that God really can save, that he really can deliver us? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, that, that, that if we go into the furnace, our God is able to save us. He's able to deliver us. What difference would that make in what you're experiencing today if you really believe that? You know, there's that, that fourth person, verse 25 says, that fourth person in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All throughout the Old Testament, there's theophanies uh, and Christophanies, these appearances of Jesus himself, and this is one of them in Daniel chapter 3. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of these three men in the fire, but God is there with them. Jesus himself is with them not only present, but he is delivering them. And Nebuchadnezzar himself speaks truth. He says, the fourth looks like a God. And you know what, why he did, Nebuchadnezzar? is because he is. He is God. He's the God that is with us. He's the God that delivers us. In your world, in my world, in our realities, in the, in the fires of this world that we're experiencing and facing, what if we believe that? That God is with us, bottom line and that God will save us. Next week, we're gonna continue our study of Daniel by looking at chapter four. I hope you'll read ahead and make plans to join us as we continue. Before we close, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
We believe that today, Jesus, that nothing can separate us from you, not even the fires of this world. And so whether you choose to deliver us from or through or by, we trust you to deliver us, God, and to be with us every step of the way. Would you give us wisdom today to know what you're speaking directly to us from your word, from this story? And would you give us the faith to take that and to live it out for your glory? Amen.